0: Perfect for a moment to unwind. And so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hi, uh, this is Ruben off the cheek.
0: I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by Nick and Dan and special guest uh, Nisar Kinsella. Welcome back, Naz. We are so glad to have you. Obviously, we're just talking about this for the show. One of our most requested guests we have on the show and so we are excited to have you back, especially after this 3-3 thriller. I can only imagine what you've got to say uh, throughout this episode, but we're looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, great to be back, guys. It's um, it, I'm, I'm feeling warmed by your presence because I was so cold in the stadium. That Hawthorne Stadium is the highest stadium in the UK in the Premier League. So, uh, yeah, you can imagine and the cold's just... Breezing into the Premier League again. It's a proper uh, winter come in here. And, uh, yeah, us, us journalists, we sat outside for hours and hours. And, uh, yeah, just your presence is just, it, it's kind of getting me warmer, <laughs> even 24 hours on, uh, feeling good.
2: Too kind is what that is, too kind. Uh, in England has confirmed that there are only two seasons, mostly cold and like three weeks of summer
1: yeah yeah and uh global warming is trying to extend that we've had an extra day i think and we're all very grateful <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's parka season uh it was pretty chilly because we were just talking about this we we're in london a year ago essentially to the day uh because as we've been reminded it is nick verlaney's birthday so everyone out there tweeting oh smile. my gosh i'd say post in discord which you guys are but he's not going to see it anyway so uh maybe we'll take a screenshot but i'll know it in my heart we'll send him a I'll screenshot um, so anyways, happy birthday, Nick. Uh, but it does get cold around this time of the year in England. We can confirm. Can't wait to be back though, Naz. Uh, real quick though, Dan, before we get into it, Naz had a very insightful tweet around the 20th minute yesterday. And I just feel like it's a good way to kind of set this episode up, get in the mind of the journalist.
3: Oh yeah, it was, it was great. It was the good thing about going, three uh, nil down after 28 minutes is you have 62 minutes to come back. And, you know, really, just a a Lampard master plan
1: (laughs) or something. I don't
3: know.
0: The prediction, Naz. Impressive.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I expected, you know, I put Timo Werner, my captain, on FPL, so I'm not always right with my predictions, but I was just like, you know, it it could be worse. And, you know, it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility. I mean, it maybe felt like it for a second there, but, you know, Chelsea do come back, and there's just so much, so much class.
0: You would hope so. I mean, if you listen to our match preview, we are pretty scathing on how bad West Brom are, so uh, karma is a is a thing that we don't want to talk us. about. Um, Alright, look, it is... You should, have, you should have finished that sentence, Brandon. Look, I'm not trying to get the explicit rating this early in the episode, uh, but let's jump into the three-word match reviews to really help set the tone for this one. Uh, I just have to go with Gary Hayes, friend of the pod, friend of Naz even, surprisingly, that Gary can have that many friends uh, fucking L that was his three word match review. And to be fair, I don't know if it gets much better than that, Dan. Um, but I know the engagement on this is far exceeded the, the hundred response Mark. So I'm sure you've got a couple good ones in here.
3: Yeah, there were, there were a couple hundred and, uh, yeah, I liked one from, uh, Bothra underscore 23. His review for it was who's the coach. And his question then to us was, is there a coach? Which uh, was an interesting one. I saw one that uh, the football car who said looked like Palace, and uh, that was a pretty apt description in multiple ways. Uh, Nick, I liked also the one that was let Callum cook from Matt Defoe. That let Was an excellent one.
2: <laughs> I yeah, we, I think played like Palace more like um, is 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 the answer there. But we have we have some of our own. Let's not. Let's not jump away from what we think the three-word match review is, and because Brandon is so gracious as to pass to us all the time, I would like to take this moment, since it is my birthday, to take over the host role for just one segment. Brandon, what is your three-word match review?
0: It doesn't matter if it's your birthday, Nick. Know your role, know. sir. Stay in your lane. Look,
2: no, no, guest um, guest host. Uh, I, I... <laughs> ha. I Knew you didn't have it's, one. No, I that's to, exactly right.
0: I have two, but I think I'm gonna go with Lampard must learn. Um, mm. and that was pretty much because the last 15 minutes, and we'll get into that. Um, I felt like there was a very obvious thing. I because there's two sides of the match there was the going down three nothing, and then there was the comeback of to get to three three, and they're very opposites in that. And so I just had to. I'm going to go, I think, a little bit more negative this episode, which might surprise some people, but I'm going to go with Lampard must learn. So that's mine. So uh, if we're playing Uno, Nick, my reverse card right back at you.
2: <laughs> Massive individual mistakes. Massive. I, this, it was like, it's like they were trying to do a comedy routine yesterday. I mean, it's hilarious. Dan, even in our group chat, tweeted, like, this is actually funny, like, Tiago Silva pulls a slippy G out of nowhere, okay? Like, our our most experienced, like, former world-class defender just goes full slippy G at it, okay? And then Mark Salonzo's error, and then another error, and then five more errors. Like, all West Brom wanted to do was go a goal up and sit back, and we gave him three. Fair. That's very fair. Dan, over to you. Yeah, I went with the uncomfortable
3: Cobham comeback. It was... The, the, the neck was a little tight throughout the, uh, throughout the mash, the shirt that we were wearing, and uh, yeah, it was thankfully rescued by some of our Academy graduates, but uh, that does not make it something that I'm super excited about. <laughs>
0: All right. I think you probably put the most time into this. Naz, the writer, though, the literary master, three words.
1: Well, I don't feel like it's literary mastery this, but Alonzo is done. <laughs> I could feel him going under the bus. I felt like he was not gonna he was gonna have to walk home from the Midlands like just felt bad. But I also was like I bet a lot of Chelsea fans actually it was music there is because he was absolutely shocking. You could you could see it from uh, minute one really how bad he was in the game and it was like it was bad, but like when your coach comes out as well and, and, and throws you under the bus as well, like it's just like wow, it's gonna be tough to recover from that, especially with Mr. Chilwell coming in soon. Mr. Chilwell.
0: And I think that like Lampard has done a pretty good job of not really ever calling players out and really keeping that behind the scenes. So when you get one, you know it means something. So, uh, all right. Well, as you can tell, this is going to be an interesting episode. Uh, but of course it is after that, that match. I mean, this is not going to be straightforward and relaxed. Uh, thank yous, as always, to the the beautiful people out there that have earned them. Ben, Daniel, and Matt joining us on Patreon. I believe you're all already in Discord, so come hang out with Dan and I. Uh, over to you,
3: Dan, for Apple Podcasts. Yeah, we got a bunch of them. We are still on our quest to a thousand Apple Podcast reviews in the US. We are, you know, combined globally, we're in the fourteen hundred range, but we would love to have over a thousand in the US Apple Podcast store. We are getting there. We're about. 35 away at the moment, which is pretty exciting. So Aiden, Amen CFC, Brad from the St. Louis Blues and the Loos, Uh We appreciate that. We got the R-Star 225. We got Young Simba with a 0 and a 4 in there, so it's a super legit, super gangster handle. We had Brian Chino 11 and also Gabe underscore Matucci all leaving five-star Apple podcast reviews. Super thankful, super humbled. Keep at it. Let's get to a 1,000 plus.
0: All right. And then, Nick, over to you. We do have a cool thing that happened recently as far as a podcast ranking list. You want, you want to share that one out for our fans?
2: Yeah, we, we did on social this week, but, uh, I mean, we were genuinely shocked when Dan opened the Chartable charts earlier this week and we were up to number four at one point in the U.S. soccer, like U.S. Uh, store, but soccer as a term for search rankings, we were up to number four, ahead of some incredibly massive shows uh, for for U.S. followers. Uh, so, just thank you. Uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly cool to see, and we're we're just gonna keep moving the, the best that we can. Uh, Nas is a part of that being on the show as a massive <laughs> fan draw. And uh, we, we hope that we can consistently kind of be in that top 10 list. I think, Dan, we're like 11th when you look at like the all-time rankings, right? So we're just kind of outside the top 10 on that search term. So uh, really, really cool. And, it, you know, the iTunes ratings help or Apple Podcast ratings help. Uh, sharing us on social helps. Like it all it all helps. But those downloads have been crazy, crazy, crazy this month. So you guys are, are just smashing it. Thank you.
0: So... Quick heads up, uh, now that we have NAS on, we're expecting to get to top two at least, right? We get to get the NAS bump. <laughs> uh, but just remember, uh, Matt Law will be coming on later this week, so look for that one, and then NAS later this month because we announced that he's going to be coming on regularly as well. So this is a part of what we're doing with uh, the blue wire relationship and just climbing these charts is putting it back in and getting the guests that you guys want. So really excited about that. All right, but here we go. It is the match review time. West Bromwich will on in the Premier League this past Saturday. Finally, a Saturday match at not Stanford bridge at the Hawthorns. There's NASA saying the windy, I didn't know. This is a little fun fact. Highest stadium in in England. I like that one. Uh, West Brom three, Chelsea three wild goals. All right. We're going to go to the fifth stand app because that's where we need to review them. The official Chelsea FC app go in there, their play predictor game. Uh, They have live chat. You should be in our discord chat, though. But anyways, thank you to Chelsea for letting us use this clip. Let's go relive the goals right now.
4: A very warm welcome to the Hawthorns on match day three of the new Premier League season. The Blues travel here to newly promoted West Bromwich Albion. Alonso giving it straight to Pereira. I just wonder if there could be a chance here. Oh, there certainly is. And West Brom score inside four minutes. Callum Robinson has smashed that. Oh, beautifully done by Mason Mounts, and Werner! Oh, another huge chance. Oh, that's a mistake by Thiago Silva, and they could be in again. They are! Astonishing! He's done it again, Callum Robinson. First corner of the game. Oh, it's 3-0! Is the flag up. Kyle Bartley has put it in. He's onside. There's no doubt there, but we're just ball watching. Trying to pick a way through this army of Baggies defenders. As Poliqueta. Mounts. What an unbelievable strike. Sam Johnston didn't even move. And that is a goal back for Chelsea. Beautifully struck by Mason Mounts. With Furlong out of position, here's Werner. Hudson, Adoy, Havertz, Hudson, Adoy! Yes. Superb goal, beautifully created, majestically finished, and it's 3-2. gave on! Pull back for Hudson, Adoy. Havertz is there. Mount. Oh, yes. it's in from Abraham! Would you believe it? 3-3 three, three deep into stoppage time from 3-0 down.
0: Hey, Nick, do you remember when uh, you predicted that someone might have a really good game for West Brom and then it
2: happened? Yeah, I... <laughs> so here's the thing. We picked were in name the, out of a hat. <laughs> we were in the chat yesterday. Naz, I must admit that I didn't do a whole lot of extensive research on West Brom's key players before the match. Um... But I pulled out Mateus Pereira as the guy I wanted to look for. And boy did that work out for me. <laughs> uh he was he was uh he was all over the place and I think by far their best player on the day. And uh I this is for everyone who's like, Hey Nick, why are you never comfortable going into match predictions? It's this game is why. They are I think West Brom now is it fair to say that West Brom are probably going to be the worst team in the league when it's all said and done?
1: Yeah, easily. I mean, I was listening to the Slavin Bilic press conference after the game, and he was like, man, we need some new signings. We're not good enough for the Premier League. (laughs) He was like basically just saying it out there, like especially a striker they were after. And they were like, they played a winger up front who scored two. Um, Yeah, you have to think about this result in that context as well.
2: So we got all swaggy on our match preview. We were just walking in there really confident. And look, this is why I don't do that. This match in particular is why I have no confidence in match predictions. We were as bad as I've seen us in a very, very long time for 45 minutes yesterday. And, you know, in the premier league, no matter how bad the opposition is, this is what can happen. Your, your Mateus Pereira's of, of all people can go and, and play like their prime Ed and Hazard. Uh, you, your, your defense can lock up. I mean, it's, why I have no confidence game this is this is what it is
0: yeah, this is honestly a real life sneak peek into the salt that runs through Nick verlaney's veins on yes. a match day uh Dan, run us through the lineup. There was a lot of speculation about this, obviously we didn't have any anywhere close to the correct score predictions uh lineup predictions not really close either, and I think.
3: Uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about uh, around this. Well, Franklin Lampard takes the hard left and puts Billy Caballero between the sticks. We had a back four of Marcus Alonso, Andreas Christensen, Reese James, and Captain Tiago Silva. That's right, Captain Tiago Silva. Our midfield had a two to start with, with uh, ahead of them with Conte and Kovacic. You go ahead of that with an attacking three of Mason Mount. Kai Havertz in the 10, Timo Werner, and then Tammy Abraham up top. Keppa unused sub for Kyle on sub. Jorginho, Ross Barkley, all unused substitutes. Azpilicueta and Callum Hudson-Odoi get a half a piece. And Giroud gets about 20, 25 minutes or so coming in as the last sub in this match. But Naz from the midweek period or the kind of end of the week when Frank had his press conference to when this lineup came out. How surprised were you with who actually ended up on the pitch? Because it feels like Frank was saying one thing and then the actual lineup we got was just a touch different.
1: I think I think this lineup was influenced by the cup game in midweek. So like, Tammy had a really good game throw him in. linked up really well with uh, Havertz as well. So he came in. Uh, I think, you know, that might have been a surprise to some people. But actually, I thought, you know, when I was I was trying to predict my 11, I put Tammy in for me. Um, the only one that really surprised me was Thiago Silva. I thought that save him for the Spurs game, you know, he's a player he's used to playing in big games and, and get him against the top team. It's different playing against West Brom. I'm, I'm not saying he can't do it in the future, but obviously I'm not saying I predicted the mistake he made either, but I just thought, you know, save him for that, play Tamori, pace uh, in behind as well, because these teams are always going to try and hit you on the break. So bring on Tamori's pace. I thought that was going to happen. And then, you know, the only other sort of big change was Willie Caballero for Kepper And you know, watching the game midweek as well, I was there and and Willie Caballero, low-key, had an excellent game against Barnsley. I mean, Barnsley had quite a lot of shots. Chelsea just didn't really bother defending against Barnsley and just sort of, you know, went gung-ho. It was a great game, attack versus attack, and Chelsea just finished brilliantly. Kai Havertz, amazing. Uh, but Caballero pulled off there was one save. I was like, wow, that is sensational. Um, and and yeah, I, I think it was the right decision to play him. And I also think the way Frank handled Kepa was right as well, even though I think a lot of people might disagree with me. I thought, give him the first two games before Mendy gets in, see if he can prove himself. He didn't prove himself. Drop him, fair enough. And then Caballero earned that spot in the game against West Brom. Great. I was all for the way Frank handled his goalkeepers. I think that was perfect. Um, it's just not worked out for Chelsea because Kepa didn't perform. And, and why doesn't Kepa perform? that is a complicated problem that, that Chelsea is still trying to solve. And I think we've talked about it on many podcasts over the, over the, the months and, and, and years really. So yeah, I thought, I thought, you know, lineup wise, the big surprise was Tiago Silva, but other than that, it was fine. I mean, it didn't work out very well, but I still thought that this might be the lineup Frank picks. Well,
2: I, I couldn't believe the Tiago Silva news myself. Cause not only do we not see Zuma on in the team at all, but Fick also had a pretty good game against Barnsley. I mean, like, and I think played really well against Liverpool to be fair to him. So I just thought like, you know, Tiago Silva has been with the team for all of 12 days or, 13 days before this, and he just played on Wednesday, and he's 37 years old, so let's... 36, okay. All right, turning 37 soon. Um, just
0: turned 36, kind of like you just turned 33, not 37, which I called you earlier
2: in jest. Yeah, but but the gray in my beard would suggest I'm 47, which is fair enough.
1: (laughs) That's why he... I think throwing in, um, throwing in Thiago Silva is similar to throwing in Kai Havertz because he might have thrown him in too quickly in, in some ways. Maybe you could say that Kai needs to play to improve, but... You could also say maybe you could have eased him in a little bit and and sort of the first two games, he wasn't really up to it. And actually yesterday was his best game, which we maybe could explore more. But I thought he was was pretty good yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, Better than he was against Brighton or Liverpool. I mean, Barnsley was Barnsley, so I don't really count that. But great hat trick, great for building confidence. But um, yeah, the Premier League is where it counts, really.
0: Yeah, well, he's definitely counting that all, all three goals, and he's taking that to the bank. Uh, uh, High-level match stats, Chelsea with 76% possession, uh, 22 shots, 10 on target. West Brom had nine shots, three on target, three goals. Clinical, huh? Uh, we way out past them, had way more touches. Uh, we actually had 12 tackles there, nine. They had 39 clearances. Wow. I think 30 of them coming in the last 10 minutes <laughs> to Chelsea's 11. Uh, we had nine corner kicks, which we could talk about that too a little bit to their three. Um, and then our three cautions to their one. 16 fouls conceded to their eight. Uh, Dan, hit us with the expected goals so we can get into the meat of this. Well,
3: West Brom, three goals on an expected goal of 1.3 way outperform. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, the Chelsea also overperformed our expected goals, which was has been a problem over the last season. Uh, we had expected goals of two point one. Some people would probably say that we should have had six or seven with some of the misses or the rocket launches of Timo Werner and Tammy Abraham in this match. But uh, yeah, it was a 2.1 for Chelsea. So uh, good news. We overperformed our expected goal, which we didn't do a lot of last season. There was a lot of underperforming matches where it's like, oh, we should have scored three. We should have scored four and you scored one or nil. And so this is a improvement, but it is still um, not great. Correct. That is
0: a fact, Dan, and we're going to work off of said fact as we go into here.
2: Before we before we get into topic one, I ran my own personal poll yesterday. You did, Um, I did. Oh (laughs) gosh, and i I was just I was curious to see, and I just put it in the script for everyone to see. I was curious to see if people thought that this was a good comeback and and a point earned, or if it was a terrible showing and and two points dropped essentially. By a margin of sixty-four to thirty-six percent, with set over seven hundred votes on my stupid personal poll, by the way, which is it shows you how many Chelsea followers are are following these great insights on Twitter. Sixty-four um, percent said terrible. That's look, it's like they were in my head, like that's that's how I felt. I felt like you can't drop any points to West Brom in a season where you think you're gonna where Dan thinks you're gonna challenge for the title until the last day of the season. like
3: I said second, I said we finished right. second. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: to me, so that I'm, just says- I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying.
0: To me, that just shows you have 450 bot accounts that you voted for in favor of the result you wanted.
2: It's all about the engagement, baby, let's go. Uh,
0: all <laughs> right, well, lead. we can take this and lead into it. Is our The first question I wanna dig into is the lineup, individual errors, or the system, which is to blame Maybe a combination of all. So there's a lot to break down in this match. Mainly how Chelsea found themselves three goals down versus a side that has struggled so mightily against Everton, Leicester. I mean, we just need to to call it what it is. They are not a great team. There's three places we can start our investigation, as I discussed. Um, So lineup, individual errors, and or the system of play. We've, we've covered the lineup a little bit, but we've only heard from two people on that one. Um, I think, obviously, Nick with this three-word match review said the individual errors is a big thing for him. Uh, Naz, from your standpoint, um, I guess, one, are one of those three factors standing out as a bigger cause for concern to you than the others, maybe?
1: Yeah, I think, I think from Frank Lampard's perspective, he says it's individual errors, it's not a tactical thing. Um, but I, I can't really buy that because he changed the tactics at halftime straight away to the 433 um which worked which worked and it is credit to him really um, and, and, yeah, it, may, it meant that Mason Mount was playing his right position. Mount's not really a winger. you may, I mean, I quite like him in the wide positions when they play with three at the back because the kind of wingers, they kind of tuck inside a little bit more. And we've seen, you know, like against Man United in the FA Cup semi-final, that Mount links really well with Giroud. And, and that, that kind of works because he's still in that central area, a bit like Kai Havertz likes to be in the central area. But, um, yeah, I mean, Frank had to change the system to get the game back in, 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 in check. So yeah, there was individual errors, but it's also systemic the problems in my opinion. So yeah, I mean, those are the ways I look at it really. And I think that, you know, I think that that's, that's sort of how I label it. And I think that Frank's in this experimentation period where he's got like an unbelievable amount of options, especially in attack. And he's just sort of, experimenting one thing doesn't work it changes and it is credit to the coaching that they these players you know and the recruitment that these players are the kind of players that can play many positions but you need to have sort of a a plan a And, and maybe that's not what Chelsea've got is a plan a that they can stick to where a lot of their players are in the right positions and they do play really well so yeah that's my concern with it I don't know if you guys would agree but you know that's sort of my feeling early in the season we're in this sort of experimentation phase
2: Yeah, like I I couldn't agree more with that. It's it was obvious when Mason dropped into midfield, which will be my eye test later, that the game started to flow better for Chelsea. Like there was more passing lanes opened up. Uh, Callum obviously provided some really great width, and we'll, we'll get to him in a second, but. The balance was better, you know. I think w- what you saw in the first half, Dan, was a midfield pivot that was all over the place between Conte and Kovačić. And although I didn't think that Kovačić played as bad as other people did necessarily, uh, it, it just it wasn't working. I mean, like they all they wanted to do was sit back, and when you have essentially, uh, you know, of your of your eleven players on the pitch, you have seven that are trying to attack the box, and you basically leave Thiago Silva alone and unfortunately makes a mistake like that's what you bought and paid for at that point so it it was it was kind of a a misguided formation i think
3: yeah i mean i guess i'll touch on the individual errors pieces because i I think the system at large is where a lot of the questions still lie and there's a lot to be answered i mean it's not Building a Lego set, right? It's not like the Frank Lampard got an instruction book with the one, two, three, four, five pieces you need to assemble to get the maximum out of the side. This is this is cooking. This is cooking in a kitchen, right? You have an abundance of ingredients and it's a little bit more artistic. With the individual errors, I think NAS with the the call out of Lampard, you know, dropping kind of name of Alonzo twice in his post-match commentary. Had a really, really awful game. Uh, Thiago with the slip w- was quite unfortunate. <clears throat> I mean, the, the whole back structure with the way that Alonso and Reese James were pushing forward in this game... Did no favors for Christian Christensen, and no favors for Thiago Silva. They were so far advanced at points, and they were trying to run back in position. And I mean, credit to, to West Brom for very much you know, understanding exactly what was happening, right? Reese was so far forward, Alonso was so far forward, that they could leave Robinson essentially past the midfield line just in front of Silva. And Kovacic was ahead of him. Conte was ahead of him. And so all they needed to do is break one ball really, really quick, and they were in a position to capitalize and be on a, a 2v1 or a 3v2 without any much of an issue. And what happened is we just didn't compress enough in that section, Brandon, to actually give ourselves the opportunity to try to kind of win back or you know force more of their attacking players back to actually try to be involved in their defense. They were really gambling on the fact that we weren't actually going to close down appropriately. And Surprise! We did not close down appropriately. I think my yeah. I think it, so. Frank wants to play
0: this four-two-three-one formation. I think that's what we can kind of get out of this. He started. He with wants it, to get
2: the best out of Kai. Like I think that's the whole reason. That's the emphasis for it.
0: Absolutely, as he should. The problem is the pieces around him that nullified Werner having to play like a William and tracking all the way back, not near the box. It has it put Kovacic in a weird spot where he was getting caught in possession in dangerous parts of the field which also is pretty uncharacteristic for him but yeah. partially it's because he's used to playing in a midfield 3 that's a little bit more fluid than the 2 and then the 3 in front um and and so i think that it's, it it's it's They're still, if they're going to progress, they need progress with this. Obviously, they need to feel themselves out. Then you get people talking about, oh, we need different personnel to play this role. Really, you need Ziesch back. We need Pulisic back. We need like proper wide players back. And we can talk about Callum a little bit later. But right now, you've got Mount and Timo Werner playing as the wide players, and that's not their strong suit. Uh, Maybe Mason Mount is better suited to that, but not a Timo Werner. So now your problem is, where does
2: Timo play going forward? Can, can I disagree with the Timo point because he played off Shh. the left wing a lot before for for Leipzig. I mean, this is not a. But brand that's an attacking new... role. He's now in a midfield role. Well, not really. Much like, more he defensive up... responsibilities. Yeah, he had to track back, and space was limited on that side. They were clearly shading that side mm-hmm. so that he didn't have yeah. the impact that he wanted to have. And, th- and then, thus, Reese James had all this. You know, they, they elected to let Reese James, with all of his passing ability, get in behind a yeah. thousand times yesterday because they were so concerned about Werner. But, like, Werner has played off the left and he's mm-hmm. comfortable playing off the left, apparently, from what I've seen in his tape from Leipzig. So I was confused as to why it seemed so hard for him yesterday. And it. it Maybe I don't know. Go
1: I ahead. think i will do a bit on that one. Just uh, with Werner it was his worst game in a Chelsea shirt, which um, you know, I've actually been amazingly impressed with him to go so good to Chelsea, but yeah, he was quiet and he obviously missed that chance. But I think that in this four two three one with Werner, he's got a back even more, you know, than like a four three three where at least he has another man behind him, you know. He he always had like Kai behind him or whatever but Kai's number 10 he's basically like a striker as we saw against Barnsley he's he's possibly the biggest goal threat in the squad in in that formation so you just have a guy who's really single-mindedly you basically have a front four which is not beyond the realms of possibility but you're always going to be vulnerable really to counter-attacks down the side and then you know Kovacic I think he's a great tackler he moves about the pitch brilliantly but he doesn't read the game so well so when they do break I think that Kovacic is a player you can bypass and and there's two different types of defensive you know play really there's reading the game and then there's actually making the tackle and Kovacic is a great technical defender but in terms of his actual reading the play I mean he used to be an attacking midfielder he's just not he's just not quite got that. And then when he's exposed in those positions, we see him make mistakes and we've seen it time and again. And um, yeah, I think that that can be a problem for Chelsea in the future, really, if they go with this formation. I'm a bit concerned about the 4 about mm-hmm. whether it will actually be the future for Chelsea. I mean, it's good for Kai, but I think maybe Kai as a number eight it might be the better approach as we saw in the second half.
0: So and that's kinda of, I guess where I was gonna to go to is I think when Timo is able to play out wide left, he just sits up there. Kind of like we've seen Ed Nazar do, where he doesn't really come back. So if you can set the team up to make it so he can because I think he likes to lurk in space and then find opportunities to to pop in through the center backs, we just need him to stay up there. Like don't well, come back.
2: <laughs> that that's the point, right? When Mason is on that side, yeah, as a number eight and there's cover Mm-hmm. Boy, does that open up a myriad of possibilities for, right. for Werner, right? Because you have you don't have to worry as much about doing that work coming back. It's just it's a more balanced formation, right? You see the passing mm-hmm. pass is more balanced. And if the passes were balanced and the positions more balanced, then I think it's just whatever. We we saw the result.
0: Yeah. So obviously, you know, we talked with Naz already about the Alonzo comments and getting called out. Um, look, Timo and Tammy didn't convert in the first half very, very easily. Should have had one. If, you know, they're firing on all cylinders, you definitely have two, uh, which changes the game. Uh, We talked a little bit about Kovacic. So I think, you know, for me, that's where a lot of it comes down to is 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3. Obviously, doesn't matter. If your center back slips and lets a guy in on goal, it doesn't really matter what you do. If your left back heads the ball into space, doesn't really matter what you do in those situations.
1: We saw the psychological problem of mistakes as well. So like um, Chelsea's heads did drop after the second goal, which was a, you mm-hmm. know just a freak accident, and they weren't actually that bad. Like they were, they weren't great, but they weren't awful either. So. It was kind of like um, there was a shell shot period up until halftime, really. And then and then the mentality switched.
2: Brandon, I got to get you the, the really quick, on the second goal on the breakaway, obviously it was a tough one, right? Because Tiago slips and, you know, you have basically have a one-on-one with Christensen trying to catch up. Christensen pointed to where the goal was going to go to tell Willie to shade over because he was going to try and come over and slide the other way. Willie didn't move at all. <laughs> Like he was, he was stuck pretty hard in. I was like, "Oh no, Brandon's gonna have a thousand things to say about that." Not
0: really. He's thirty-seven. You tell me he's not the most agile cat-like goalkeeper out there. Thirty-nine. Weird. And also, who knows how much him and Christensen play together to, like, have a conversation of being on the same told page. told him, I like, know, I get right, it. Right. I'm not defending. I was just like, there is a prime example of, like,
3: two really big, obvious things that didn't go well. But, but I think that that's also another example, though, of where Frank maybe isn't always setting up the players to get the most out of them. You know, Tiago played mostly on the, you know, played on the opposite side at PSG, and so now we've got a little bit of flip of position there in the back two. You know, Christensen, I guess maybe you're trying to put Christensen closer to, you know, I, I don't know. Like it just didn't didn't make a lot of sense and then you have a formation that, you know, doesn't give Timo the opportunity to, you know, run at pace at like a one-on-one situation with a possible defender. You know, you had Mason on a wing and, you know, you see what Callum does in this game and so it's just a lot of questions about, you know, is it is it experimentation? Is it he sees something that works well and then tries to just repeat it, which we saw last season with maybe when you went with a three-five-two and, you know, oh, hey, it worked really well. Like, I'm going to run with it again. And then it didn't work the next game. It was like the the comedy of errors that it just was worked one game, didn't work the next game, worked the next game, didn't work the game after that. And so I, I guess the, the question that we'll kind of have to answer or is still maybe left unanswered is like how... How does Frank find what he wants this team to actually do? Because he seems like he's allowing them to inform what he's going to do during the match. And I guess you would think, Naz, that that would happen on the training pitch. And it seems like there's a lot of, uh, you know, building the plane while flying it at the moment. And it's not predicating like really great results.
1: Yeah, he's he's basically a reactive manager. So, like you know, he'll he'll set up his team, but then he's you know finding out problems during the game, which is not really what you want. You you know, as a big team, you want to go into these games, control it, pass the ball around, show off your technical ability, have a game plan to stop counter attacks, stop turnovers. I mean. Frank Lampard knew what the danger was, but he couldn't stop it, which was a bit of a surprise, really. He knew that it was the break. You know, he spoke about it. I could hear him, because you you know, there's no fans in the stadium. You can hear him shouting, watch the turnovers, guys, watch the turnovers. <laughs> and they're still happening. So you're like I, and and a lot of what we just spoke about really is, is why that was a problem. And and the other problem that you can kind of hear in the stadium is the lack of um, you know, vocal leaders on the pitch. So I think that's why Aspele Quetta came on for for Alonso, you know, partly. I mean, Alonso's on yellow card, playing terribly. But also, you just put a leader on the pitch as well. And and somebody you can talk to, Thiago. I mean, there's a great clip um, of those two talking. As soon as Aspilicueta comes on, he goes to Tiago and has a word. And he's like, I mean, I go back to a point that was said like earlier in the past, um, you know, it it might be West Brom but it's also the Premier League and it's it's a different kind of game you know you get stunned you don't get stunned in France and there's question marks for these guys even in Germany the upsets aren't quite as regular as they are here so um, yeah I mean it it was a case of getting on that leader who knows the league and, and could talk these guys through the match a little bit as well so that was part of the formula to fix it but um, in the end, it was just, you know there was that 433 period and then there was the 352 period, which for me isn't really tactics. It's really just let's just put on all the, all the attacking guys, see what they could do. Um, and you know Chelsea are so good that they could do something in the end.
0: So I'm probably one and a half competitive matches away of Lampard making poor personnel decisions in the back line to having some serious questions. I just was shocked Christensen came back in like this. If if Alonso goes back in
2: again. One and a half is awfully specific.
0: Well, because it's like you have this cup game coming up, right? So, like, I'm not really going to credit that. But it's like once we get in like a couple more Premier League matches, to me, then it's like, you know, we're, we're really close to being like, OK, now we have to ask some questions because he can do well to Naz's point of correcting them in a match. But why are we even in that situation from the beginning? We should be ahead of those situations uh, going into this, this this 60th minute for his subs, his 70th minute subs, not chasing a match. That's why I said, but yeah, one and a half is specific. And know, it's like those betting up. odds.
1: I think my biggest fear going through this season is that, you know, the, this doesn't really get solved and that, you know, the way the way the sort of like Jurgen Klopp built his team at, at Liverpool, he kind of had a vision in mind and it, they didn't have to be the biggest names that he'd sign, but they fit in that system. And my biggest fear problem is you know my biggest fear is that they're they're all great players I have absolutely no doubts that Havertz is a great player Werner's a great player he's not scored yet for Chelsea but I still you know I know he's an amazing player it's simple you can just see it and then you know Hakim Zayek's a brilliant player Pulisic's a great player but my problem is are they ever going to fit together and there's, there is a potential that they never do and they never do. And if they don't click, if they never click and the, I mean, you know, the backline's an even bigger problem. We're talking about the, the front lines, a little bit of a problem, but the back line is a real problem. If they never click, then Chelsea will never really achieve at the level they need to achieve to satisfy the desires of the fans to win trophies.
0: Well, you say fans, but we all know you mean Roman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Roman's the biggest he, fan there is. <laughs> yeah. The most true. important fan.
0: Uh, look, uh, little Opti Joe cheeky stat here just says twenty. Chelsea have failed to keep a clean sheet in twenty of the of their twenty one Premier League away games under Frank Lampard. Laps. Um, look, at this point, I don't think any of us are really lo- predicting clean sheets. Uh, at this point, um, and if we are, it's because we're just being silly. Uh, so uh, that's just kind of the situation where it stands. But we're we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to switch the narrative from why it didn't work from the beginning to the actual comeback. Uh, so maybe the mood will be a little bit brighter. And obviously we'll talk about uh, Nick's eye test and some of the the young players coming through Cobb. So uh, we'll be right back. Fellows, 2020 has made it hard for us to stay as hygienic as we should be. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped have made it easy to turn your bathroom into your own private salon. Manscaped is on a mission to change the grooming game with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products, and they just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. The Lawn Mower 3.0 trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with advanced skin safe technology which helps reduce grooming accidents. The waterproof technology also allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Their perfect package comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to complete your ball trimming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, paraben-free, so you know your disco stick is in good hands. You're probably Sitting on the couch with your hands on your balls anyways might as well keep them smelling fresh with the crop preserver ball deodorant an anti-chafing ball deodorant designed to defend against the below the waist odors when that summer humidity hits i use these to keep my balls from sticking to my legs they even use the crop reviver ball toner that is spray on toner for your testicles their foot duster foot deodorant is so good they can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet use the code london is blue and get 20 percent off plus free shipping at manscaped.com basically all i'm saying is if you love your package all 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 you have to do is go to their site, hit a few buttons on your phone, and it will change your life for the better. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code LONDONISBLUE and upgrade that salon with the luxury products of
2: Manscaped. You've counted on restaurants, and now they are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. That's right. DoorDash is the app that brings the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is super easy. You just open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop-off setting, which I encourage. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, or the Cheesecake Factory. But they have the added bonus of having some of your favorite local spots on there as well, which I I personally love to support my local restaurants like Lulu's in Kansas City. What's up? Shout out to you guys. I've eaten from you a lot this year. (laughs) Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more, which is not hard to do, when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's right. $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Do it.
0: Okay. Let's call it a comeback, I I guess. at. Opta Joe says three Chelsea have become the first Premier League team since West Ham in February 2011 to avoid defeat after trailing by three or more goals at half time, a game which was also against West Brom at the Hawthorns that ended 3-3. Character <laughs> so West Brom are on the wrong side of that. They're probably their status probably like the only team to be up three nothing at halftime and to have not won the game twice in the Premier League. Uh, orchestrating the comeback didn't look likely at three goals down after 28 minutes. But Chelsea were able to secure a point. How the hell did this happen, Naz? What in the world? You talked about the tax exchange to a 4-3-3 and then a 3-5-2, which was really a 2-1-7. But, you know, kind of talk us through how you saw the game evolve uh, mainly in the second half, after those changes were made.
1: Yeah, I, I admit, I'll admit right now on the pod that I was writing my uh, Chelsea lose piece. I was like, they might score too, <laughs> but uh, still beat it. Um, I was so impressed with the West Brom like let's just put that out there what a, what an effort by them I mean they they, you know on their part they didn't quite counter attack well enough in the second half to really stop the game and there was a chance of getting the fourth on their part Chelsea still weren't defending that well they were very open but hey I did like the four-three-three switch I thought that they were good subs at half time they were bold I think Lampard had to do it I mean Alonso was playing so badly you had to get him off you had to get Aspie on. you've got him you've got to use him and then You've got a player like Hudson Odoi who is a brilliant player, and that turned out to be a master stroke. A bit of width, the um, you know the attacking wasn't great, and then you had you could put Havertz and Mount and and you know specifically Mount. I think Havertz had a really good game yesterday, but Mount was kind of really poor in the first half, I thought, and then they moved him into that number eight role and he's unbelievable in the second half and I'm, I'm not saying he has to play number eight every time but it is his preferred position and then he ends up in that spot um, and you know I was listening to what the um, actual players were saying I, I saw Hudson-Odoi and, and Tammy Abraham being interviewed after the match and they both pointed to Mount's goal and they were like look, this is the point when we believed. I mean, it was an unbelievable strike. Let's let's get it right. That technique is sensational and um, it really turned around the mentality and it, it would have done for West Brom as well. Uh, they did their best to try and fight it, but it, it ended up being super resistible for Chelsea and that was a big moment. And then, you know the switch to three-five-two. I wasn't in love with that switch, but it did it did put an extra big man on up top, which kind of helps in these kind of games where you've got a lot of big defenders who are sitting very deep. You know, Giroud's quite good at that. And then they put, um, I think that you know they sacrificed Werner, put him out of position on the right wing, and then put Callum on his best position on the left wing. And Callum just ripped apart the game from that point of view. And I thought he's brilliant. I thought Callum actually. Had the match-winning, the match-equalizing moment. That cross he did at the last minute was really good. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if everyone can even appreciate how hard that cross was to do. But that was the real moment of quality in Tammy's goal, and and credit to Tammy as well because he just basically wasn't in the game, but he just stood there in the middle, just waiting for that chance, and he waited ninety minutes, and it came. You know, in the extra time, brilliant. Um, but yeah, that's sort of how I saw it. So the key points really was. You know, Mount Mount's goal really swung the game. And then, you know, just in terms of getting just so many attacking players on the pitch and, and Hudson Adoy in his best position, and Hudson Adoy was the man who brought the quality as well. So credit to those two. I really thought they stepped up.
0: Well, obviously the Cobb and Crew to the Rescue is Dan's tagline for this one. Uh and, and rightly so. Um I I was I don't know how great the Giroux sub was, but at the end of the day, Dan whatever concoction he had on the pitch in an amorphous formation, it did get the result, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think it's kind of an intangible stat, but like Mason Mount's resilience is kind oh. of the uh, a differentiator I have for him. He might not be the most skillful, might not be the the most uh, tactically aware in certain situations, whatever, but he will never give up and won't allow people to like drop their level. And that's the kind of like that Chelsea DNA that, that we talked to him about, but overall again, um, you know, Mason jumpstarts it, but it just, it went on from there. It really changed the entire match for Chelsea.
3: Well, it it flipped with the substitutions and the formation change. And, you know, the, it took event It actually allowed, I think, you know, Kai and Mason to find more goodness from the match, which was great to see. You know, it, it put Timo in a position where he didn't have to kind of head back as much. He saw Mason get the space to uh, really play some some good forward service, and uh, you know, that that was nice to see as well. You know, Callum coming on added. Uh, you know, and it, yeah, it took a few minutes to to find his his footing within the match. But again, when you haven't played a ton over the last twelve to eighteen months, you know you're you're still getting back up to speed, as it were. But yeah, M- Mason's resilience and his ability to find space to take the shot that that really. Uh, It was very reminiscent of, I think, his shot against uh, Man United in the FA Cup semifinals, where it it was from distance. It was speculative. You kind of needed to rely on the keeper to to not really do anything. And he was just like rooted. He just like watched it sail by and just like, okay, all right, well, this is this is what happened. This is where we're going to be, and I I know Nick. You want to talk about Mason's position and switch as the impact with your your eye test, but yeah, I mean he he's got the the Chelsea fight, the Chelsea mentality, and you know he wasn't going to allow you know the the game to slip away without having a chance to put his stamp on it.
2: Yeah, I mean I we all love mason uh, he's been getting some incredibly undue criticism i think because he hasn't scored 20 goals in a premier league season yet or provided 20 assists and it's it's just like do these people watch the game like do they do they understand how certain players are meant to help drive the team he's an engine player like he's certainly part of the engine of this team and he may not be the fastest player he may not have the best shot on the team. He may not be, you know, he may not have Ziyech's left foot able to put the ball wherever he wants, every time he wants to. But what he does have is, is far more than, than what we've seen other midfielders give in this team. And it's energy, it's passion, it's enthusiasm. And by the way, yes, he can shoot. Um, <laughs> he scored some incredible free kicks. And the shot that he pulled off yesterday defied physics like I don't even understand how how he was able to get his foot to curve around from the it was like Roberto Carlos esque with the spin Mm -hmm. like uh, again when he's playing a midfield role it frees everybody else up to do what they need to do and you know part of you know if you're if you follow basketball at all or you're following the NBA playoffs there are some players on a team who allow other players to just be their best version of themselves, right? That's what I think he does for this team. And I do think, by the way, that as the season progresses, Naz, he will find his form and goals scored and assists made. But... That's not maybe his most important role for this team right now.
1: Yeah. I think that you've got to remember that they've they've been here for a year, um, Mason and Callum, but they're still growing as well. So we we want to see them improve and they are improving. And and these new signings have come in to sort of lift the level of the squad and and, you know, you saw a bit of that last, you know, yesterday that Mason um, was really in control of the game, taking it over. I think he had four key passes, uh, seven shots. I mean, he was just so involved. And um, I think that mostly when he was in the number eight role. And, and it's just being in those positions really suits him, I think. In the middle of the pitch, he's better. The closer he is to the middle of the pitch, he's better. Um, and he's great at link play. And he, he contributes a lot of defence as well, which you've got to say. So the, the criticism he gets just... I feel like that people don't even throw in the defensive contribution that he does and that's a huge part of football I mean we're talking about the defence for the whole start of the pod and you know it starts from the attack it starts from the forward players and he's one of the best in the country at doing that so let's let's say that that is what Mason Mount is all about and that's what makes him unique and that's why Frank Lampard loves him and he plays the exact style of football Lampard wants to see at Chelsea which is dynamic aggressive energetic and he sums up everything that Chelsea want to be and I think the new signings kind of fit into that mould as well with Havertz and Werner. So, yeah, I think that that's what you've got to think of when you see Mason Mount. And we're seeing him develop. He wants to improve every day. He wants to get better. Frank Lampard didn't have a great first season at Chelsea. That's what people always forget. And, it, you know, that. And um, you know Mount's kind of on that upward trajectory himself. And, and, yeah, the shot might be Mason Mount's best goal for Chelsea. Um, I'm trying to think what might be better. Maybe the free kick last season at Wolves. I don't know, mm. but... I actually loved that goal. Um, the swerve on it was crazy, man. The goalkeeper couldn't save it because he didn't know where it was going to end up. So, yeah, it was um, well, it an amazing performance. He got, he got the official man of the match. I thought Cal- Callum might have been just because he came off the bench and was so aggressive in the forward areas. But, yeah, I don't complain about Mount either.
2: Well, I, I quickly say about Mount too, Dan, it's like the leadership he showed – it, it has to be a factor in his overall performance, right? Like the minute he scored the goal, it was get everybody back. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Like it, it was kind of Pulisic-esque from the Liverpool match when we were down all those goals. Like you need someone to gin up the team and pick everyone's heads up. And that's a valuable attribute as well.
3: Well, and and you saw that not just for him. I mean, we, we talk about this as the Cobham crew. And I think, you know, sometimes we, we lump. Tammy, we lump Ficken, we lump lump, uh, Mason in and Callum in. I think Callum also showed a lot of of leadership through his play as well. You know, half a match, 50 touches, a goal, 20 passes in the final third, five in the box, five touches in the box, two shots, two key passes. And that's a fantastic half of football, particularly when you're playing down, particularly when a team has kind of shelled in his uh, one-two with Havertz was... Exceptional football. It was really kind of stunning his setup for Tammy in the in the second goal there. Like I, I had a hard time between Mason and Callum, who I felt both had uh, exceptional second halves. Uh, You know, maybe Mason didn't have the best first half, but I, I also don't think the position was well suited to him. Is that they both really were the two individuals who changed. So much of what we were doing were able to help us pull back this result. And I think Callum is is someone who's kind of been rightfully, you know, has rightfully, unrightfully has been challenged by Frank to step up, to commit more. And, you know, I think is is showing, especially with, you know, Brandon, with Pulisic kind of really struggling to get back on the pitch with injury, that Callum is worthy of selection because he's going to offer you something that is is pretty electric and is going to really make defenses stand up and take notice and you know even after the match in his uh, fifth stand interview uh was just the mentality that he was showing the willingness the commitment the understanding that we weren't all down (laughs) i think uh matt davies adams asked oh so yeah what were you doing in halftime what was the speech like i "I wasn't there i was getting ready at halftime i was warming up i was ready to get out on the pitch and go (laughs) so yeah huge credit to
0: to callum i i post this somewhere i think in discord but He started off being very negative. Every time he got it, he turned back. It was like passing the center backs. So credit to him. I don't know if Lampard, Jody, someone yelled at him to, hey, go at them. We don't need you to keep possession. We need you to be dynamic and change. And there was a very specific change in his play style that really had an amazing impact. And to me, that's just someone showed confidence in him because he needs that. He is still young. Um, He still isn't getting consistent minutes. But then look, this ties it back to, we need wide players. The formation flows better. This four, two, three, one, four, three, three conversation is back. Uh, But I was really excited to see Callum have a good day. But again, with him, it's the consistency is what we need from him. If he can go do that consistently, he's gonna have a big role in this
2: team. Absolutely. The bounce he showed yesterday Mm -hmm. was insane and i actually haven't seen him look that way since he got injured he had this like special like pick up the ball go bounce 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 like it was insane naz mentioned the cross he put in he can do that from the top of the left side he can put in that right footed far post curler that is almost impossible if you're a center back to get your your head around like it is that's going to be special if he can pull it off consistently like we said, consistency is key with him, but yeah. this all comes after a week where he's like gone to Germany again. It's it's hard to figure out, honestly.
1: It's um, it's an interesting situation with Callum, but I just wanted to say on Mount just before we move on, just that um, it's nice to see him playing a role where he could be the you know the main man because so often I just feel like they. He gets crowbared, They, you know, they pick the lineup and they put Havertz in first, and then they put Werner in, and then they're like, "Oh, Mount, we will, we'll always play Mount, but we'll just play Mount here because we need somebody here today." He's goalkeeper
2: this week. Cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then he's (laughs) always, but like, I remember him against Liverpool, and he was just—he had no attacking output because he was busy tracking fullbacks all game, and I was like. Man, I kind of love that in one way because it's so selfless. He just loves football. He loves the club. He'll do anything he's asked. But at the same time, you sometimes it's nice to be like, actually, I want to be the main man today. And it was great for him to have that moment. And it kind of just reminds everyone that, you know, the fans, even Frank, maybe just that... Mount can be the guy as well who can win us or turn a game, and that's what happened. And then, you know, with Callum, at the same. He needs to remind Frank of where he fits in this whole uh, ecosystem. I think that you know Frank's still working it all out, and maybe Callum's been the fall guy a little bit in in recent months. I mean, he barely started a game. I mean, the Barnes game was only the second game he started since lockdown and, and he barely even had sub minutes. He didn't get a lot. Um, so it, it has been frustrating for him. It's rightly frustrating for him because I think he's a brilliant footballer. For some reason, it's not worked with him and Frank uh, as well as, you know, some of the other academy guys. And I can't really say why. I think it's just a case of, you know, Chelsea do have a lot of good players and, and Pulisic was in such good form. William was in great form. And then the new guys came in and they had to play. So yeah, Callum has just found like time after time problem after problem but his talent is is huge and he's the youngest of all these guys he's only 19 years old still um his ceiling could be massive so um I think for Chelsea and for Frank Lampard and for Callum it would be it was a great and timely performance you know before the transfer window closes just to say this guy can't go out on loan we can't lose him because he can be a difference maker even when Pulisic comes back and even when Ziyech comes back.
0: Callum had himself a day. Mason had himself <laughs> a day. Tammy got the goal, so it doesn't matter what he did because he scored, and that's the <laughs> life of a striker. Must be nice. Uh, but as we wrap this one up, we do have some unanswered questions that each of us have. Um, Obviously, mine is really just a summation of this episode. is When can we settle into a formation play style and a lineup. Obviously, you need Peelset coming back. We need Zesh coming back. We need Chilwell coming back consistently. So, obviously, those are variables out of our control, but there's still some things that uh, we can control. I'm just I'm really hoping to get these guys back so we can settle into mm-hmm. a bit of a a routine and an identity because I know we are missing it. But again, we still have to get results even without them at, at some cost uh dan what is your unanswered question
3: what does tuesday look like you know we've got Ooh. a uh, cup match here against spurs uh we've done really well the past uh, couple matches we played against Mourinho side in a back three formation and you know I, I i'm wondering if we see that again you know uh Sun was you know subbed off in the forty fifth minute you know but you did have a lot of the key starters play a full match here just uh, just today and they also have a Europa League fixture coming up this week too so how much rotation will Mourinho put in there how much will he trust his key starters and then how do we respond you know knowing that we we don't have a midweek match beyond that to try to you know shoehorn as well so uh, I think that's going to be very interesting
0: I'm really glad our week is a heck of a lot better than Spurs week
2: Nick what about you. <laughs> I, I wanna know where Zuma was. I, it seems so strange to me. Like I don't see an injury report. I don't see anything. Like it seems strange to me that you know, as Naz said earlier, that Tiago Silva would play two in a row and Zuma would get thirty minutes midweek and not be ready for, for the weekend. Like he's Zuma as it stands is our one A center back. Now whether he's, you know, going to eventually become like a, a prime Thiago Silva is T B D, but you know, again, Zuma and Fick have been our best partnership over the last year. Like, I I, know it's crazy that you bring in Tiago Silva and you don't play him as much, but, like, I think you have to figure out if Zuma and Tamori can work long-term because it seems relatively clear that Rudiger is not a part of the plan anymore.
0: We haven't even talked about the fact that Tiago Silva is our captain today, by the way. So that was a weird okay. one. Uh, Naz... Uh, not to steal your your headlines for the week, but what's a question you're still digging into trying to find an answer to?
1: Yeah, I think that the question will be from a lot of journalists is, is Thiago Silva actually good enough for Chelsea? You know, I mean, and there's no doubt in his legacy. I mean, AC Milan, PSG, the trophies, Brazil, uh, won the Copa America. I mean, we all respect him and I love the way he spoke. We did like press conference with him and he's just like... You're just like this guy oozes class. You're like amazing, and I was I was almost in awe. And just certain players just bring that to the table, and it is brilliant. Um, but coming into a team that already has defensive problems at 36 into such a fast-paced league is. I think that it still leaves a question mark open. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, you guys were right, really, that maybe that's, maybe he's not in the best partnership. We don't know yet. Uh, maybe there's just certain big games where he comes in. But for me, I mean, I, I, I'm probably I'm probably in this sort of camp where I'd back him, but maybe actually Chelsea just have too many problems that uh, he can't excel. So, yeah, I think, uh, is he really going to be the game-changing signing that, kind of Chelsea hopes maybe not and, and maybe you know it will end in a year because he's only got a one year contract with a one year extension so I think that for me going forward that's going to be a big question mark Is and I think that a lot of people are going to write about it in the coming months is you know what is Thiago Silva what Chelsea need do they need another centre back? Are they just going to look for another one in January anyway? Um, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. And then yeah, Zuma will try and find out that tomorrow in the press conference because these games are coming thick and fast, man. We get to talk to Lampard almost every other day, more than my girlfriend, I think. <laughs>
0: Ooh, weird. <laughs> uh... <laughs> All right, Dan, take us out of here with the Dan of the Match poll.
3: Yeah, uh, the the tightest one we've had in a while. This was uh, down almost a photo finish. It was uh, no surprise that three of the Cobham crew, Tammy Abraham, Hudson-Odoa, and Mount made it. Uh, also put Kai Havertz in there as well. Uh, I think Naz rightfully called out one of his, uh, you know, be- best Premier League performance from Kai Havertz so far. Uh, you know, maybe not his best performance regarding the hat trick versus Barnsley, but Mason Mount... Shades it at forty six percent to the forty two for Hudson Adoy, Havertz at ten and Tammy at two percent. So uh you know, I think either Mount or Hudson Adoy would have been wonderful choices and uh happy to see them both backed by the wonderful listeners.
2: That's about how it played out in my head. I, I think I think Mount probably just slightly deserved it. Again, Tammy only
0: being on there because he scored in the ninety third minute for getting <laughs> all of his tap in misses. He, got, he did the hard the thing.
2: Match. I don't know.
3: Yep. That some things paper over the cracks, Brandon. That's
0: the life. All right, so the Premier League table as it stands: Everton first, Leicester second. This is while the Man City Leicester match is going on. I can actually see it right here. Uh, Arsenal third, Liverpool fourth, Palace fifth, Leeds sixth, Tottenham seventh, Chelsea eighth, Newcastle nine, Man City ten. Again, they have to play Leicester right now. Villa eleven, Brighton twelve, Wolves thirteen, United fourteen. 15th, Southampton, West Brom, 16th, Burnley, 17th, West Ham, 18th, Fulham, 19th. Sheffield United bottom of the table right now after they lost 1-0 to Leeds. A huge bounce for West Brom. Went from 20th to 16th with that point that we gave them. So uh, that's just kind of the way the table is right now. Still a little silly. You've got some teams that have played one match, some that have played three. So there's a huge amount of variance still in this uh in this table but we'll we'll have to see next match is in the league cup against tottenham again we're expecting heavy rotation um but we still got to go out and do the business so we'll see how it shakes out naz thanks so much for joining us always a pleasure to hang out with you sir
1: pleasure's all mine thanks guys
0: can't steal the the pleasure giving naz we we said it to you first so uh dan and nick as always thank you gentlemen listeners you're the best part about this let's chat about what we discussed today social media discord wherever we want to do it uh we have plenty more to talk about so we'll be back real quick at the middle of the week uh with the with the tottenham match review so enjoy it's a big week of matches so until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high